0: Welcome to My Story, a podcast that dives into the personal stories of people who have struggled with opioid addiction. This podcast is supported by Stand for Recovery, a nonprofit that helps find and pay for recovery treatment of individuals who are left without any options from their insurance providers or government programs. It's a great cause, and if you've been following any of the news lately about opioid addiction, you probably know that this is a big issue. So it's good that Stand for Recovery exists as a platform to help. If you want to help Stand for Recovery pay and support individuals in need, like the people we talked to in this podcast, please call 1-800-874-0134 or go to StandForRecovery.org and click Donate. That's the word Stand, the number 4, the word recovery.org. There's no minimum and every bit helps. This week, our guest is Jackie, who has struggled with opioid addiction since an early age. We are going to hear his story of what led him down this path, what the consequences were of his addiction, and how he rose to overcome it, but not without some incredible hardships, loss, and overdoses. It's an amazing story, and I'm glad Jackie had the courage to share it with us. Without further ado, here is Jackie's story.
1: My name's Jackie Doherty. Um, I'm from the East Coast. Massachusetts, right outside of Boston. Very, uh, very competitive where I'm from. Always playing sports. I had a lot of friends, Um, mostly through sports. I lucked out with sports, came a lot of friends. Um, Didn't have to work very hard to be good at things. I was very lucky. Um, I had a really good childhood. I uh, grew up with a single mother. I was the only child. my her parents who were my grandparents and her her grandparents who were my great grandparents. We lived in a three family house, so I got to live with a few different generations. Yeah, I had a I had a real beautiful childhood. Um, in middle school, I grew up without a dad, so I kind of I had my grandfather and my great grandfather, but they were so old. I mean, not so old, but they were old, so they couldn't really do things with me that. A younger like a father figure would so when I was in middle school my um, I had a teacher who was also my coach who I uh, ended up getting close to and he um, I needed a father figure so I chose him or he chose me I'm not really sure how it worked but um it turned out that he was uh, that he was just a predator and uh, I think he chose me because I was a single I I was the only child without a dad so um, that turned into its own thing Uh, I dealt with uh, a lot of sexual, mental, and emotional abuse with him. I never told anybody eventually uh, way down the line because I didn't say anything. It happened to 11 kids after me and eventually one of them told their parents and uh, I was approached by detectives at my house one day to ask if I would testify but I was using a lot of drugs and uh, the statute of limitations isn't that, isn't, uh, isn't that long. It's like three to five years and it was 10 years later so I was really no use to anybody. Um, but yeah, that was, it was a long time ago, but that's what uh, those feelings and the stuff that came of that caused a lot of depression and uh, post-traumatic stress, and uh, that's what actually, drugs actually saved my life. I would have committed suicide if I never found opiates. Opiates helped me self-medicate and deal with uh, mostly that stuff and stuff from my childhood. Yeah, my drug use came from that. I didn't know, uh, you know, I didn't stand up for myself, so I believed I was a coward my whole life. I didn't know what it meant to be a man. Um, If I was worth anything, felt like damaged goods. Um, I believed when I walked into a room, you could see it written all over my face that I had been abused and that I wasn't worth anything and that I had nothing to offer. So, I mean, a lot of insecurity and self-consciousness came from that. Um, But, uh, yeah, drugs made that go away. Opiates made me forget that anything had happened to me. They made me feel like... uh, Everybody liked me. I didn't, actually I didn't really care what you thought once I found opiates. I, uh, I believed that I was the best thing that ever happened to anybody. Um, I thought I had the power to change people's lives. I thought that I was God's gift to women. I uh, became a really bad person, stealing from my family, my grandparents. The day my grandfather died was the most important person in my life. Um, I waited till the ambulance and my grandmother and everybody left from the house and I went and stole my grandmother's checkbook, uh, I started taking $1,400 every other day to support my drug habit. And uh, I mean, that's where drugs took me. I uh, I didn't really care about anybody or anything, uh, especially myself. And uh, without being able to care for myself, I really have nothing to offer anybody. Um, I mean, I probably didn't believe that I was addicted to drugs or that I was a drug addict until, um, probably until I was homeless. It. it I mean, I'm not, I'm not a stupid person, but it takes a lot for me to admit that I can't fix things on my own. Like I said, I'm selfish, I think that I'm special and that I have powers that really are inhuman, so it takes a lot for me to to actually let something sink in. I'm allergic to bananas, but it all happened all of a sudden and I kept trying to eat bananas. I was like, I've been eating bananas my whole life and until I actually has to, had to be hospitalized because of the aller- allergy, I mean, I kept trying. I don't accept things very easily. I think that I just have a very competitive, um, vindictive, uh, I want to do things that other people can't do. Um, you say, I can't do something, I'll show you. Um, very rebellious and a lot of denial. Um, when I was 23, I uh, that was when, that was when I was stealing money from my grandmother. Um, I had a full-time job. I was with a girl who had a full-time job. Um, but I, uh, my addiction was at the point where it was costing um, $600 a day just to not be sick, and um, I wasn't making anywhere near that much money. So for two months, I was taking $1,400 every other day from my grandmother, um, and it, the first month's bank statements, I was able to get my hands on because we lived in the same house. Um, but the second month, they came in. and. Um, They gave me two options. They said we can either press charges um, against you for stealing all this money and for fraud, or you can go to, you can get treatment. And um, it wasn't a very easy decision. I mean, I tried to talk my way out of it. I tried to say I'd go tomorrow. uh, But they made me give them all the drugs and money that I had on me, which um, I gave up most of it. Um, But yeah, I had to accept to go to a hospital and. and go to my first treatment and uh really didn't want to I tried, uh my aunt and my cousin took me and i I threatened to jump out of the car a couple times on the way and uh I was just being a real jerk to people who loved me and uh, you know they were crying and I was crying and but yeah i uh I accepted involuntary treatment um, yeah that was my first of um first of many treatments I've been to eighteen treatments, three psych woods had two overdoses, I mean, the statistics are stupid. I don't even know how I'm still alive, to be honest. Yeah, after my first treatment, I think I was in there two weeks. I thought that um, I felt good. It was the first time that I had been off of drugs for two weeks, I mean, in four years at that point. Um, and I felt like they had given me the knowledge that I needed to outsmart my addiction. I uh, Stayed clean for about 74 days, which was a miracle. But um, I ended up smoking some pot, and uh, it didn't give me the high that I remembered. And um, I knew that if I did some Oxycontin with the with the pot that I would get the high that I remembered, and I did. And I was, I mean, I was off and running again, and I didn't get treatment again from when I was 23. I didn't get treatment again until I was uh, 28-ish. I mean it was just it was um every day was the same every day I was just I was really just working so that I wouldn't get sick um every day I was lying to somebody breaking somebody's heart um it's honestly I don't remember much of that every day was the, every day was the same from from 23 to to basically like 30 it's I don't remember much of that it was just It was just stealing, lying, um, manipulating people. Um, People didn't really have a face at that point. I just saw what they had to offer. Um, I really had no purpose and no... I wasn't on a path to anything. I was just... I mean, I was just existing. I didn't have any life at all. I, um, I didn't hang out with my friends. I missed... I missed weddings. I missed the birth of um, my best friend's first children. I missed family parties. Um, I missed funerals of loved ones. I, yeah. Uh, I mean, I was not. I, I was not present for anything. The only time that I would go anywhere was if somebody was there that had drugs to offer me, or if there was money somewhere that I thought that I could get my hands on. Then I would go. But besides that, you couldn't get me out of my house. It, it was pretty pathetic to be honest when I was thirty um, when I stopped having a home to live in, that was what began to show me that I had an issue um I lived in my car for about eight months um i mean i'm six I'm six foot one and I was living in a little Honda accord It wasn't comfortable by any means, but um I thought that I was okay I mean I thought, hey I mean at least I have a car um and I I was perfectly all right with living in my car as long as I had heroin. I, um, I can, I I began to start uh, trying to intentionally overdose, and um, eventually it worked. And um, that was what uh, actually—that's what actually made me seriously know that I needed help because um, I mean that never really sank in until I overdosed and I I woke up in the hospital not knowing what happened and and then thinking that, like, who do I think I am to take my own life away from my mother? My mother's given up, my mother never brought home a boyfriend because she didn't want me to think that she thought another man was more important to me. Like, my mother gave up literally everything in order for me to have the life that she believed I deserved, and so who am I to take who am I to take that away from my mother? I mean, my mother's the most important woman that I'll probably ever have in my life. Um, for me to just uh, recklessly try to take my own life because I'm just too much of a I'm too much of a coward to deal with life on life's terms and um, holding on to something that happened to me as a kid and using that as an, that as an excuse to take my life away from my mother is. Um, wildly inappropriate and uh i just i mean thank god that i realized that it took me a long time i mean i didn't realize that till i was 30 years old my mother's been taking care of me for since i was born and uh i'm her only child i mean she just wanted i feel like she thought like a lot of people think like love is enough if i just show him enough love if i if i just do anything that i can he should see that it's worth not using drugs. I mean, until she told me that I can no longer come home, until she told me that, listen, I understand that you're living in your car, but you're just not welcome here because I, I don't feel safe when you're in my house. Because I, I, she would go to sleep and I'd take her debit card and take the most of her money. I thought it was okay if I left a couple hundred dollars. Um, felt like I was justified. As long as I didn't take everything from her, then I wasn't really being that bad of a child. Um, until she had the courage or until she found whatever she found inside of herself to realize that she had to cut me off completely um i mean she'd always answer the phone she'd always talk to me she'd always tell me she loves me and that she wants me to get better but she just didn't understand like most people i think they just don't understand in what way to help somebody like me um love isn't enough man it's just not enough after that overdose, um, I had a clean friend who had five years clean. He brought me to detox, and he made me promise him that uh, that I would do somewhere between thirty and ninety days in a program. Um, and at the detox, I was offered uh, I was offered a chance to come out to California um, on a scholarship. Um, but I, I I didn't know if it was real. I didn't know at that time what a scholarship meant. Um, but I knew that he needed help, um, so we talked a lot. Kept asking him if it was legit. And I remember one time, um, he has a mature voice, and he sounds like an older gentleman on the phone. And one time, he kind of like uh, to me, it sounded like he broke character, and he was like, "Listen, bro, I'm trying to help you. I'm not gonna put you in a place that I wouldn't put somebody that I care about in." And when uh, it might sound silly, but when he called, like when he when he stopped being so polite and like called me bro. I um I could relate to what he was saying. Um there were times where he said, Hey, we're ready for you and I said, Ah, oh, you know, I'm not ready. I still have drugs left and you know, I all he could really I don't know if he said it, but I heard it. He probably didn't say it, but I just remember thinking, hearing him say, Just don't die, bro. Call me tomorrow, just don't die. Whatever you do, don't die. Let me help you. And um eventually uh, the day came that he said, we're ready for you. And I said, I'm ready. I mean, I had no drugs left. I had no money left. I had nowhere to go. And he, uh, a driver came and picked me up. I decided to trust a man. Whatever it was inside me that accepted that man's help, he um, he got me into the program. Uh, they attempted to help me detox, but uh, being the type of person that I, I am, I, I refused all medications because I wanted to suffer so that I would remember my detox. Um but from that day forward there were guys in that program that um that told me that they would love me until I learned how to love myself. Everybody on the surface seemed nice and I accepted that for what it was and um it really from the start um my life changed a lot and it's I think it's been 158 days I came in uh came in on June 6th. Of this year 2017 and i I mean from that day from that day forward my life's only gotten better I don't have you know I don't own a house I don't own a car I don't own much I own the clothes I'm wearing but um it's it's a lot more than that I uh, I'm comfortable looking in the mirror Um, I don't tell myself that I'm a piece of garbage that isn't capable of being loved I don't mind looking in the mirror. There was a point in my life I didn't look in the mirror or brush my teeth for four years. I would change my clothes every two weeks. Like I, um, I had no self-worth. Um, today is very different. I am working on loving myself. Um, I, I show love to a lot of people, whether um, whether I really like their personality or not. It's really um, really doesn't matter today. Um, I believe that I have a lot to offer, which is, I have never said that in my life because I always thought that that was arrogant or um, like I was boasting, like I have something to offer somebody. But today, through a lot of work, um, and all because I decided to trust a voice on a phone that told me he had my best interest at heart and begged me to let him help me. um, That decision has changed my life in ways that I really don't even know how to put into words. I'm very lucky I mean, I'm extremely lucky to have people that have stuck with me. I mean, my family never never gave up on me. I'm very lucky. I mean, they would shut me out when things were bad, but that was just, you have to do that. I mean, they still loved me, but just from afar. Um, The only way that this is gonna work is if you figure out me. The only way it was gonna work for me is if I figured out why, even when I'm clean for eight months, I decide to go back and use drugs. When I feel emotional pain, even though I'm clear-headed and I know what's gonna happen if I use drugs, why do I still make that choice? And, and for me it was, I just, I was so emotionally immature and I did not know how to handle any form of pain. Um, so that was just my natural go-to. For 13 years, anything I felt, I would just immediately use heroin. And uh, so that's my default thing. Today, uh, I, I mean, I believe things have changed, but it took a lot of work and a lot of honesty, and I had to get vulnerable with people that I didn't know if they were going to hurt me or help me. But I, I just, I just needed help, and nobody could hurt me any worse than I hurt myself on a daily basis. So eventually, it was like I had nothing to lose. I could only go up from the bottom. I chose, uh, I chose to reach out. Luckily, I reached out to the right people. Uh, two weeks ago, one of my really good friends from back home that. Um, I have a half a sleeve of a tree tattoo. When I go home for Christmas, he was supposed to finish it. He died two, uh, I think two Mondays ago or two Fridays ago. Um, And he was a veteran of the Afghanistan-Iraq war. Like this, I lose people all the time. And unfortunately, I no longer cry. I no longer am surprised. And um, it's sad. Nobody nobody should feel that way. Nobody should feel nothing when somebody that you care about dies. But. Addiction gives you an attitude of better than me. Unfortunately, it's tough to say, but that's how I feel. I mean, I, I, can only, I can only save me. I can't save anybody else. If I could save other people, I wouldn't be here. I'd be out running around in the streets just screaming, hey, I can help you. Just come grab onto me and I'll save you, but it's not like that. I wish it were. My name's Jackie, and I stand for recovery.
0: There are others like Jackie, all with incredible stories of loss and love and overcoming one of the greatest epidemics of this age, opioid addiction. As this miniseries dives into those stories, I hope it gives you some insight on what our government and health insurance companies are not doing to help. If you want to help people like Jackie fight this battle against opioid addiction, I encourage you to go to standforrecovery.org and donate. That's the word STAN, the number 4, and the word recovery.org. Or call 1-800-874-0134 if you know someone who needs help. Stand for Recovery helps those with addiction when the larger systems have failed to help. Stand for Recovery is a nonprofit that places those who truly want to be free of addiction in treatment centers around the country. Next week, we'll talk with Steven, whose story starts as a star athlete who suffers the loss of someone important in his life that leads him on a journey toward addiction. If you like this show, please leave us a review on iTunes as it helps others to find us. See you next week on My Story.